We'll start with a pretty, pretty simple, pretty plain question uh, this morning. Uh, how do you know what to do? How do you know what to do? What was that? Ask God. Ask God. God's going to tell you what to do. True? Uh, okay, that's good. You ask God. There's a, lot, uh, there's a lot in that response, you know. Not everybody in the world would expect to hear from God in real time. Um, that Gabby is saying, oh no, that's how I roll. <laughs> and she does. Uh, there was a hand over here. Mike. YouTube. YouTube tells you what to do. YouTube tells you what to do. Mike, I need you back in the front row because clearly you're not paying attention. All right. You ask God and you ask YouTube. Excellent. Good job. Blue water. Uh, what else we got? How do you know what to do? Yeah, Samuel. Uh, wise, counselor. wise counselors. Wise counselor. All right. You, you got? You got? You got some? You got a couple? All right. I got a couple. He's looking around. Who is it? It's Rania? Prayer and meditation. Prayer and meditation. Maybe that's like, that's a good clarifying exercise, maybe. A good listening exercise. Yep. Yeah. Study the Word. Yeah, the Scripture. Uh, I hear that's a pretty smart book. That's got some good stuff in it. Scripture, all right. Uh, brother? Trial and error. Trial and error. <laughs> yes. I like that. I, I was thinking, could, could this be a bumper sticker? I'm doubtful about this one. But, you know, at Blue Water we say faith is trying. Faith is trying. Could we have one that says trial and error, but it's T-R-Y dash A-L and error? Trial? You like? No? No? No. All right. Not, not my best work. I'm sorry. Trial and error, though. But, but uh, great wisdom in this, right? Because if faith is trying, uh, then you try things. And if they don't work out, eh, you try the next thing, right? And there's a... a great deal of life wisdom in that one. That's good. Somebody else had a smart idea? Look around and see what needs to be done. Yeah, turn needs into opportunities and, uh, and just fill in the gap. Sure, that tells you what to do in life um, because things need to get done in life. There's nothing wrong with that wisdom. Who was it? Trust. Trust. So there's uh, an answer with a lot of fibers in it, right? You just, you trust. You, if you don't trust, it's hard to know what to do. I like thinking of it like that. Once you start trusting, then things become clear, and then you know what to do. Yeah, so there's a, some profound theology, philosophy in that statement, which I like a lot. Yep, who is it? Listen to your wife. Listen to your wife. Yeah, particularly if she has a YouTube channel. <laughs> All right, I'll take one more answer. You got, yeah, was it Gigi? Recall past experiences. That experience teaches us what to do, uh, which is, uh, that's a great answer that needs to be unpacked because if you are going to guide your life according to experience, then you have to go out and get a lot of experience. Right? You got to trust. You got to do trial and error. You got to 
Uh, you can't just sit uh, at home and watch YouTube. You have to uh, go out there and have some, all, all really uh, great answers. Um, a lot of the conversations I have in life, you know, not just in ministry, like in my neighborhood, uh, are <clears throat> conversations with people who are figuring out what to do in life. They could be 20 years old, they can be uh, 70 years old, and people are still trying to figure out uh, what to do. Um, part of that uh, is that life is changing so quickly today uh, that every five years we have to reinvent uh, the way we do life, uh, it seems. Uh, nothing is as clear as it used to be. Um, the main thing I like about your answers is that there were a lot of them, right? It's clear that uh, when it comes to knowing what to do in life, you guys feel resourced, right? You feel like you have uh, things to draw on. There might be a follow-on question, which is, how are you sure this is the right thing for you to do? and stuff like that. We could dial it down a little more, but there are different ways uh, to get uh, guidance. And it, and it seems like you are in the habit of trying to figure it out, trying to figure out what to do uh, in life, beyond, beyond the obvious, beyond like, well, you know, let's figure out how to make a living and stuff like that. So good for you. Uh, we have uh, a new series that's coming up uh, technically, it's not going to start for another couple of, of weeks, um, but today's sermon is sort of a setup for it. Uh, it has to do with navigating life and particularly um, mature stages uh, of, of your life. But today, I want to do uh, what is essentially a follow-up to the Easter story. Last week was Easter. I know it seems like ancient history, um, but uh, I just want to do a reflection on the Easter story in an interesting way. As, as, a, as a veteran uh, Christian, I think I can say that about myself now. I might not be a good Christian, but I'm at least a veteran Christian. Uh, I've been doing it for decades. And as a, as a veteran Christian, um, when I read scripture stories, I think I sometimes read them a little bit uh, different than some people do, um, or at least I read them differently than I did when I was uh, younger. I don't just read the stories uh, for the, the facts. I mean, the Easter story has some really awesome facts in it. You know, you got a lot of supernatural things. You've got that whole resurrection business. You've got all the testimonies and the angels and stuff like that. Uh, and the story is reported to us in sort of a human, journalistic, matter-of-fact sort of way. People really wanted to communicate the facts. And of course, the central figure of the Easter story is, is Jesus himself. And I read the lead-up to his crucifixion and his resurrection. And uh, it was really dramatic. That it happened is a fact. But I found myself, when reading this story, thinking, like, how... How did he do it, though? You know, I kind of take a step back and I look at the kind of like the practical how-tos of the story. And so that's kind of like what experience brings me, a different way of looking at Scripture. And when I read about Jesus navigating through the Passion Week, I ask myself, how did he know what he was doing? Because it seems like he knew exactly what to do, right? Right? 
he's, he's telling the guys, well, we have to go to Jerusalem now. And without exception, his disciples said no. Right? Uh, Peter was so vehemently against Jesus going to Jerusalem that at a certain point, Jesus looked at him and said, get behind me, Satan. You know, you're being my enemy right now, Peter. Step off. We got business to do here. They all said no, but he seemed so sure that he should go to Jerusalem. And, and he, he, st- he said to them plainly at the beginning of the week, look, I'm going to get killed. And then after three days, I'll, I'll rise again. They were a little unclear what he meant by that, obviously. But sure enough, you know, he gets killed. Uh, and then three days later, he rises again. He knew about uh, being betrayed. You know, he knew how it was going to go down, that he was going to be judged unfairly. He knew the manner of his death. And he all made that uh, very clear to them. And so I ask myself, how did he know? What do you think? Have you ever thought about that? That's just my quirky brain. Because it's easy because it's Jesus to just kind of write it off. Like, well, he was Jesus. He knew everything. Um, But it strikes me that Jesus lived as a human being, right? That was part of, that's the the incarnation business, you know? Yeah, he had divine nature, but he, he became a man, right? And he lived exactly like us. He just pulled it off way better. Uh, but didn't have any special resources beyond those that are uh, available uh, to us. And so when I asked the question, how did he know exactly what he was doing? I trust his answer to that question. And according to Jesus, the way he knew what he was doing was scripture, uh, that he had scriptural clues. Uh, in Luke 24, this is the last chapter of the Gospel of Luke. This is after Jesus had, had risen and uh, he'd gone to his disciples and visited them. And he said to them uh, more than once along the way, look, I told you what was going to happen. You should have known this was going to happen. And then uh, uh, after he's been around about a week, he has a little, little Bible study with them. Luke chapter 24, it says, uh, then he opened their minds so that they could understand scriptures. He like turned a light bulb on for them, finally. Uh, he told them, this is what is written. The, Christ, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And then repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. So like, look, it's written. I'm going to die going to rise after three days, and then this thing is going to go global. All of which were surprising things, you know, because they didn't see his death coming. They certainly didn't see his resurrection coming, and nobody looking at Christianity in those first months would have thought that it was going to go global because you had, you know, a bunch of uneducated fishermen in a backwater in a nothing country, and now it's, you know, it's got billions of uh, adherents. Now, we know that Jesus was spirit-led. At his baptism, he's filled with the spirit. He's led by the spirit into the wilderness where he goes through temptations and and stuff like that. Every day, he got up uh, before dawn and he prayed to kind of get his marching orders from the spirit for the day. So we know that he had daily guidance from uh, from the spirit uh, with him, from God's spirit. But one gets the impression, if you read Jesus' life, that he kind of 
put his path together as if he were fitting pieces. Right? He had some daily guidance from the scripture, but as he told it, he had major elements, uh, daily guidance from the spirit, but major elements from scripture as well, and you get the impression that he's just kind of figuring it out as he goes, which really, really encourages me because that's kind of how I do it. You know, I kind of, I just haven't discovered a better way over these decades. I, I kind of know what my resources are, and I kind of grope my way through them until I reach a place of, you know, decision. Sometimes it's conviction. Sometimes it's just responding to needs. Sometimes it's making opportunities. Sometimes it's trial and error. Sometimes it's an obvious insight from Scripture. Sometimes it's a word in real time from God. When I navigate life, it's a little bit of everything. You following me so far? And it just encourages me uh, that Jesus uh, did it uh, the same way. So uh, in this upcoming sermon series that I alluded to, uh, we're going to take a look at how to finish well. Uh, Some of us have reached a mature age. Look around. Point the finger if you need to. No, he's talking about you. Um, Some of us are just starting out, uh, but all of us uh, should be concerned with how to finish through uh, to the end. Uh, to the end uh, of this life, if you have a vision in mind, then it helps you navigate all along the way. And I've just been thinking about how to finish well recently uh, because, you know, I'm getting to the stage in my life where I, I, can see the, I can see the finish line from here, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, but also because I think a lot of people have fallen away recently. Uh, it's been a very turbulent time. I saw a lot of good people bite the dust. Um, in terms of faith, in terms of trust, uh, and, and, and staying active uh, in, the, in the faith. Um, and I want to talk about, you know, using scripture for that and, and receiving guidance from the Spirit for that, all, all of the business. Um, we've recently done a sermon series about how the devil deceives us, kind of a, a fun and campy series in a way. But what we did there is we studied lies to avoid Uh, And in this upcoming sermon series, I just want to take a look at principles to cling to. You know, sort of learn how to sense deception, but learn how to hold on to the things that you need to hold on to in order to follow through. You get the idea? You have to have an idea about how to do this life. You have to. Otherwise, life will take you out eventually. Right? You just, there's no cruising. Uh, There's no cruising uh, in this life. You don't necessarily need precise ideas about what to do every day or even every year. You don't need grand ideas about what to do today or every year, but you need some idea, right? You need to know what you're about this day, this week, what your rhythm is, what your routines are, and and things like that. And we need to encourage each other uh, in that. And the way to have an idea about how to do life is... You just figure it out. You figure it out using all these sources, but make sure you use them and make sure you're doing that computation or analysis or decision-making or whatever uh, you call it. I was thinking about some of the bigger decisions that I made in life. Uh, One decision that I made, I don't know, long about 14 years ago now uh, was to start this church, um, which... 
I don't know, looking at you now, I'm thinking, ah, maybe I didn't make the right call. <laughs> Uh, you know, Blue Waters had a hard time, you know, like a lot of churches, we got shut down for two years, we basically couldn't even meet, we lost uh, 60-70% of our people, and we're basically kind of replanting now. So, you know, obviously you think about, well, how did, how did this thing start? Uh, and a few of us, and just a few of us now, were there at the beginning. I was thinking about people that were there at that first leadership meeting, and I, I think I can count five of us that were there at the beginning, at this point. Um, uh, maybe six if you include Sonia, I can't remember. Um, but, but we didn't really have a word from God, you know? It was just like we had, there was some upheaval and tumult uh, in the ministry that we were doing together, so we got together and uh, my office, we sat in a circle, we had follow-up meetings in, in a living room in the home where Sonia and I were living, and we just thought, well, what would be good? <laughs> and we just kind of talked about it. Somebody had taught me uh, when I was a young Christian and leading my very first small groups, my very first discipleship groups, they taught me, uh, they're your sheep until they're somebody else's. And we had a group of young adults that were with us, and so we just decided, well, I mean, like, they're ours to take care of until, you know, there's somebody else's to take care of. So we started this church, and the rest is history! And that's why you're here. Once we started, I think it's fair to say God gave us lots of prophetic words, right? But until we started, uh, we didn't get out. So we had guidance along the way, but the big decision was just kind of like, I don't know, common Christian sense. Is that a fair way uh, to put it? Um, another big decision I have was uh, I got married uh, about 31 years ago. My wife isn't here today, so I'll talk about it. <laughs> Contrary to what I tell her, an angel did not visit me. I did not have a prophetic word about who to marry. It's just that she wouldn't go away. No, that's not it. That's not it. Don't tell her that. Do not tell her I said that. She won't watch, she won't watch the video, so just nobody tell her we're cool. It was just like, uh, I, you know, I had, I had some idea about what uh, a good partner uh, would be like, you know, and she seemed like um, a really cool gal. I could be ro more romantic, but I'm just trying to be practical. That, that's, that's really what it was. <laughs> And then it's like, well, I don't know. Let's see if I can work this out. That was basically it. 31 years later, I'm still wondering if I can work it out. You know, it's like, well, maybe I got a fighting chance, I think. Um, I'm, just, I'm just sharing that some of the biggest decisions I've made have been, you know, taken from whatever resources I had and trying to be godly and wise uh, and then to put a lot of trust in it uh, to make it work. All right. What I want to do is kind of go back to some of the scriptures that Jesus used in figuring out how to do his life and how to do the Easter story. Because Jesus is a model for us in all things. And he is a model uh, for us in terms of how to travel through life and particularly how to make life and death decisions, uh, which ultimately is what he did. So I just wanted to share a few in case you don't know, and this will just kind of be an orienting exercise. Uh, for your consideration. Um, I'm going to read a few scriptures from the Old Testament that are about the Messiah, the promised one. Everybody in Israel was waiting for the Messiah. Jesus was born under rather extraordinary circumstances, had some indication at the very beginning that he was indeed the Messiah, uh, and uh, as did his family and those who were paying attention. And then I imagine that in his life, beginning when he was young, because we know he studied scriptures when he was young, we, had, we have stories about that, 
He read these and figured it out with daily guidance from the Holy Spirit uh, when the Holy Spirit showed up. Uh, This is a passage from Isaiah 53, one of the most famous chapters in the Bible about the coming one, about the Messiah, who we know would be Jesus. But Isaiah wrote, uh, you know, like 500 years before Christ, more than that. Um, And uh, he penned this prophecy about the Messiah. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He, who? The promised one. He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. In other words, tough life. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. He would just be common, facing the crowd. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. That's an interesting way to prophesy a a Messiah. (laughs) Yeah, he wasn't all that attractive. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. This is what Jesus knew about himself growing up. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. Boy, that's a prophetic phrase, huh? He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. So when Jesus read this, he started putting together that theology. Why I get punished so that they don't. Interesting, yeah? Imagine him reading that for the first time. By his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Such a profound paragraph. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Do you think that Jesus reflected on those verses as he stood before Pilate? By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. So he knew that he was going to go undergo unfair judgment. He knew this. And who can speak of his descendants? Not going to be married. Not going to have a family. For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. It's interesting because he was buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man. Um, Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, yet he was... Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And then the Lord makes his life a guilt offering. He will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. That's where it gets really trippy. Because he's not going to have any descendants. He's going to die. He's going to be thrown in the grave. And yet he will see his offspring and his days will be extended. I think Jesus began to think about resurrection and spiritual offspring and stuff like that. Uh, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. There's a trippy prophecy. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgression. I will give him a portion among the great, 
because he sacrificed his life. That doesn't even make any sense unless you believe in resurrection. Uh, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Here's uh, another one uh, from Psalm 22. Uh, I, I love this psalm because Jesus actually quotes from it as he was hanging on the cross just to give us a clue of how he arrived there. Uh, he quoted as he hung on the cross the first line of the psalm, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, uh, in Aramaic. Uh, as if to say, hey, you all wonder what's going on here and why this looks so terrible? Go read Psalm 22 and you'll understand. So let's just pick it up at verse 16. Uh, the whole psalm is great. Uh, but this is what Jesus was thinking about when he was dying. Dogs have surrounded me. Dogs in Jesus' day was uh, what they called Gentiles, Romans. Uh, dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and feet. Uh, when Isaiah wrote this, crucifixion had not been invented yet that particular form of death. So it's a, it's a profound prophecy. And when Jesus started seeing people crucified on the roadside in Roman uh, Israel, I'm sure he thought about this verse. Ah, I get it. My hands and feet pierced. That's how I'm going to die. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. Well, that's a pretty right on prediction. But you, O Lord, be not far off. O my strength, come quickly to help me. Deliver my life from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lion. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my brothers. In the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but he has listened to his cry for help, which is a great uh, follow-up to, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's like, ah, I'm going to praise him in the assembly, even though I'm pierced right now. And Sunday I want to get together with my brothers and we're going to have a praise party. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly before those who fear you. Will I fulfill my vows? The poor will eat and be satisfied. They who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. Imagine Jesus hanging on the cross pierced, dying, he knows he was about to die, thinking someday all the nations uh, will praise my name. You know, this is going to have global influence. That's a very unlikely prophecy uh, to think about on the, the day of his execution. But this is what Jesus was meditating on when he was hanging on the cross, evidently. I don't know, that encourages me. It's good to know. Um, both of these passages, Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22, have indication of life after death, which is kind of how Jesus, I think, knew that the death that he experienced on the cross was not going to be uh, final. Um, but uh, you might ask yourself, um, how did he know about the, the three days? Anybody know? Where it is in scripture? It's from Hosea 6, in case you're wondering. And Hosea 6 is a 
passage that Jesus quotes earlier in the Gospels. So we know that he knew it by heart. He knew it by heart. And uh, it starts like this. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us that we may live in his presence. And uh, he quoted from this uh, passage before, so I think he was thinking about restoration on uh, the third day. So just as there are many more, but I just wanted to share some of the scriptures uh, with which Jesus would have been uh, familiar. I don't, like he knew what was coming. Were those scriptures enough to give him exact navigation? I don't think those scriptures were enough. Were they helpful? Incredibly helpful, right? Uh, if, he, uh, if he trusted them. But with some daily guidance from the Spirit, things became clear enough for Jesus for him to move forward through his life and ultimately through the week of passion, his execution and his resurrection. He kind of knew what was going to happen. And as it happened, he at least wasn't surprised. You get it? Uh, And the reason I'm talking about that today, because as I said, Jesus is our model in all things, and it will be similar for you. You will get marching orders in Scripture. Sometimes you will get very specific marching orders through Scripture, and you will get daily guidance from from the Spirit, and you will get wise counsel from your friends. And although you might not be precisely certain about everything, you will be totally confident about enough. And that's how you do it. And you'll keep going forward, even though it gets tough. You'll sort of major on your conviction, your confidence, rather than your uncertainty. Which is what Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? It's easy to think that, oh, Jesus just knew everything. It was was like, well, we see him in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's still processing a little bit. He's like, well, yeah, I got this, and I'm going to do this, but you know what, Lord? Can this cup pass from me? You know, can it like, am I totally sure there's not another way? And you see Jesus kind of work that out with such intensity he bled from his forehead. Right? He did it just like we did it. He just did it really, really, really well. You know, and that encourages me. Does it encourage you? And this is sort of what we're called to. You know, Jesus had this epic experience, this world-changing experience, this prophesied experience, the the hinge of history, literally. Um, But he navigated it through means that are very accessible to you and me. That encourages me. Uh, There's nothing particularly mysterious about Jesus' miraculous life. It's miraculous, but it's kind of ordinary, the way he approached it. Are you getting it? Uh, That's kind of how I think of it. Anyway, you just kind of cultivate your sources, and you figure it out on your feet. And that's that's Christian living uh, in in this world. Uh, So that's that. Uh, I just want to be clear uh, that in this world, uh, the one thing you have to do is something. Just because doing nothing is always death. 
right? There is no creature on planet Earth that can do nothing and live. And there is no spiritual creature on planet Earth that can do no spiritual thing and continue to live spiritually. You follow me? So I don't know exactly what it is that you'll have to do in your life. I don't know exactly how the kingdom will work out for you, but it must involve something. And you, sh- you should have an idea of what that something is. A lot of your something will be similar to my something, right? Because we're walking this life together in a similar place. And so part of our life is going to look the same. And then part of our life, of course, will be unique and, and will look uh, different. So in this world, doing nothing, just cruising equals death. And people who kind of drop out or fall away, they either have a big disappointment or they just fizzle because they stop following uh, through. It is easy to drop out of life. It's easy to drop out of life. Uh, We saw this during uh, the shutdown. You know, this masses of people quitting their jobs and quitting school. And like, it's easy to drop out of life. It has never been easier to drop out of life. But it's really easy to drop out of spiritual life. It's really, 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 really easy to drop out of of kingdom life. And I just wanted to say that for the record because, you know, I have concerns generally um, uh, as we claw our way out of this season. Um, I, I like to say that uh, if somebody asks me, well, what is life in the universe? How would you define life in the universe? There's a big question. I have a really simple answer. Life is that which tries. Inanimate objects don't try anything. Animate objects, living things, try. That's it. Living things are those things which try to go on living. That's my definition uh, of life. Um, and uh, if you want to live eternally, then you have to try eternal things. That's my definition of how to live eternal life. That's really, really simple. So you just have to have some idea of what eternal things are, and you have to try them. Not necessarily exotic stuff. could just be the normal stuff. Just figure it out as you go, and even the great ones just kind of figured it out as they went. Uh, as Jesus indicates. Look, guys, let's do this Bible study. You should know this. Really? Yeah, what was the difference between them and Jesus? Jesus just worked it out (laughs) because he had to. You know, he stayed on it. He used all of his resources all the time. And he became fruitful enough to change the entire planet, the entire course of history uh, for us all. Even the great ones just kind of figured it out as they went. You don't have to be a genius. You just have to be awake and moving. And you have to continue to be awake, and you have to continue to move uh, your whole life long. Uh, So that's the setup uh, for the series that's going to come. Yeah, you like it? Is it okay? You with me? Is it going to be all right? It might be all right. so uh, usually I don't announce this in advance, but I'm going to announce it. For the, for the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be gone. Thank you. Seriously, people. How big a cue do you need? At least you didn't cheer. Things are improving. Shut up. Uh, next couple of weeks, I'm going to be gone. Uh, and so formally, the sermon series will start uh, when I come back. Uh, Sonia and I are, uh, uh, well, she's got, she's like off doing 
Uh, she's doing a conference on her own, and then we're meeting in Chicago, and we're flying to the UK, and we're doing a big conference there uh, together, so we'll be gone for a couple of weeks. Um, I will tell stories about you, so behave while I'm gone. Um, and the reason I don't um, uh, announce that in, in advance is because sometimes it disrupts people's rhythm, you know. Um, so, uh, but here's what I want from you, uh, because I want us to finish well. Um, uh, the sermon series will be about maturing uh, as individuals and maturing as a community and stuff like that. I want us to be a really mature community. So when I'm gone, uh, you have to be extra mature uh, for, the, for the guest speakers. Like, I think Connor's speaking next week. Like, I mean, like, he needs a lot of help. <laughs> a lot, a lot of help. Uh, he's going to tell you about some of the truly amazing things that are happening with, uh, with the youth and then sharing from, uh, uh, from his life about uh, how he pulls things like this off. It's going to be actually quite fascinating. But what you have to do, right, because you're carrying uh, extra bits of the load uh, while Sony and I are away, is you have, to, you have to come with extra faith. You have to come with extra helpfulness, and you have to make sure... Uh, that uh, there's a lot of adulting that happens uh, around Connor because he doesn't preach every week, right? So that should be your cue to step up. You understand? And uh, that's not, um, that might sound kind of obvious and stuff like that and sound like I'm, I'm pandering or something. But I just want us to get really good at this, you know, because uh, I'm not, I'm not going to last forever. Uh, I can see the finish line, you know. Um, and uh, we won't have each other uh, forever. We just have to get really, really good at carrying this ministry all the time, right? Trying all the time. So next week, uh, don't show up late. Uh, show up on time. Uh, sit up front. Be very encouraging. And uh, treat him uh, with all the respect and all the sarcasm uh, with which you treat me. Uh, um, and then, you know, jump into ministry and let it be uh, a really great time um, when we're gone. Thank you.